Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and on today's episode, I welcome one of my old friends from ESPN, Todd Myers. Todd has been in the sports broadcasting industry for more than two decades. He's originally from Pennsylvania, got his start in cricket during his time at ESPN when he transitioned from being a sports center producer to the director of programming and acquisitions at ESPN. He was in charge basically of acquiring the rights for all cricket content in the USA rights market that ESPN obtained during his tenure there from 2004 to 2015. And we talk about that during the interview I had with Todd which is split up into two parts. He had a lot of ground to cover with Todd, who has since transitioned to his current role, Senior Vice President of Global Operations at Willow TV International. For those who don't know about Willow TV, any listener outside of the U.S., Willow TV is the number one provider of cricket content, whether that's on their cable TV channel, the Willow TV channel, or through their broadband service on the Willow TV website. If you want to access cricket and you're living in the U.S., that's basically the best place to go in terms of the majority of the TV rights that are held in one location. There is some content that is shown on ESPN Plus. That's ESPN's streaming platform. The main two are ESPN and Willow TV. And Todd has worked for both of them. So Todd's got a long-standing reputation within the behind-the-scenes aspect, if you will, of American cricket. And he's got tremendous insight into a lot of the decision-making processes and a lot of the production and broadcast factors that go into acquiring rights in the first place, looking at various elements from a business standpoint and he's got a great perspective on just cricket in general as a fan and somebody who's coming to appreciate the game through his time on the business side of things in his role both at ESPN and Willow TV and as many of you listeners may be aware in the U.S. market Willow TV is going to be showing the first season of minor league cricket the T20 franchise competition that's launching in the U.S. this summer officially their first season they've got a headline sponsor in Toyota and Sling TV, and Willow is going to be broadcasting a lot of the matches throughout the summer. We'll get to that interview in just a moment, but first, I want to thank once again Dream Cricket as the title sponsor of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. Dream Cricket Academy offers private and group lessons for children of all ages, headlined by Dream Cricket Academy head coach Earl Daly, himself a former USA national team player and the head coach of the Mid-Atlantic Region USA Under-19 National Champions, which also features another Dream Cricket Academy product, tournament MVP, Sai Mukamala. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And now, today's interview on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast with Senior Vice President of Global Operations at Willow TV and the former Director of Programming and Acquisitions at ESPN, Todd Myers. Todd, welcome to the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter, and it's great to to see you again. It's been a while since we've actually seen each other, so I crossed the miles, but still nice to see you. 
It has been a while. And you're looking awfully comfortable and awfully sunny <laughs> in your home location there. Where are you at the moment? Yeah, I live outside of Orlando, Florida. So, you know, t- tough to beat, you know, living down here. Summertime, you, you know, you sweat a few buckets, but uh, still wearing some beautiful weather at this point. So I thought I'd, I'd do this outside for you and hopefully make you a little jealous because you live in the UK and I'm guessing it's still overcast and maybe a little chilly outside. It's probably about 85 for today. We did get a, a touch of sunlight today, but yes, generally speaking, it <laughs> it's hard not to be jealous of, of what you've got going on there in uh, sunny Florida. So for people who are not aware, I met which you. Which will be everybody. Just, yes. <laughs> met you at ESPN. And actually, the, the first time I met you in person was in 2012, August 2012, the India Day Parade in New York City. Yes. We have a mutual friend at ESPN, Prasad Malmandi, yes. who has been involved with Crick Info for some time, but also he was deeply involved with doing a lot of work with mobile apps, ESPN app and mobile app technology. And he's a big cricket guy. And so he called me up one day and said, hey, how would you like to interview Anil Kumble? And I said, okay, not going to say no to that. And <laughs> He told me all the details. Basically, Ano Kumble was coming to New York to help promote the 2012 T20 World Cup. That was in conjunction with ESPN because ESPN at the time had the rights, the USA rights for the ICC tournaments from 2012 to 2015. And we were going to do the interview at a hotel. And then when the interview was done, we were going to get on a float and ride through downtown Manhattan as part of the India Day Parade until we got to the stage where we were going to meet Saif Ali Khan and get on the stage with Saif Ali Khan and Anil Kumble. Saif Ali Khan was the Grand Marshal, but Anil Kumble was a special guest. I'll never forget, I do the interview with Kumble. You were there in the hotel, and Prasada's there. And we start walking out of the hotel. We go into a car. There's a couple bodyguards for Anil Kumble. He's a big dude. I was prepared for how tall he is. Yeah. He was a big yeah, guy. He is. And um, we get to kind of a location. I think it was about maybe three blocks away from where the floats were set up to start going down the parade route. And I remember just walking and the bodyguards were like maybe 20 to 30 feet behind us. They didn't want to like draw attention to him. There's Indian people all around. It's India Day Parade. Everybody's there to celebrate. And but they're not. We're walking towards the parade route, but there's, there's generally a lot of people, Indian people in the vicinity, and they're all walking by Kumble. And nobody's recognizing him. Right. And then, like, it was, like, two guys who kind of, like, saw him. And then after, like, another 20 feet, they finally turned around and it clicked, like, oh, my God, that was Anil Kumble. Like, yeah, it's the India Day Parade. He might be here as a dignitary. Like, and then he kind of, like, turns around and gives him a wave. And then we get to the float. Again, Kumble is, like, about to get onto the float. And there's all these people staring at us. And they're not really sure what to do and how to react because kind of looks like Kumble, but is it really him? Right. And then it was, then as he's climbing the float to get on, then it finally clicks. Oh my God, it is Kumble. He's, he's climbing on the float. <laughs> it is, it is the, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a bull rush like, Jumbo, 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 Jumbo. And, and we're in the thick of it. The two of us are there. These two white guys, these two pasty white guys in the swarm of all these Indian cricket fans. Uh, in this mad, mad rush, in this mad scramble, this mad atmosphere. And uh, I just want to get from your perspective, what was it like to be p- just in part of that insanity as it was taking place? 
Yeah, it was it was nuts. And look, I remember one of the things that after the parade, I came back to my wife and said, I wonder how many pictures I got digitally cropped out of because Kumbli at time would like pull me in to be part of a picture. And I just know that the person on the other side of the thing was like, get this guy out. I don't I don't know who he is. I don't care. I just want Mr. Kumbli. That's it. I want me and Kumbli. I don't want this other dude. Um, and I was like, you know, if I had a dollar for every photo I got cropped out of, I'd probably be retired. Well, I'm in Florida, so I'm in retirement, but I would actually be retired, right? I mean, it was nuts. And same, we got to hold um, Tim Anderson from the ICC at the time had come across with the trophy and like we had to wear the gloves and we're, we're holding it. And there were so many different pictures that were being taken. And again, it's just a look on some people's faces like, why are you holding the trophy? I don't... Give the trophy to Mr. Kumble. Let him let him hold it. Like I don't I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. Get just get out of the way. So again, and, and you know they were always very respectful, but it was very like anything else, right? I mean, like if, if you and I went and got to meet Aaron Rodgers, we wouldn't want like just some other guy in the picture. Oh look, it's Aaron and some dude. And we're like, no no no, dude, get out of the way. I just want a picture with Aaron Rodgers. And obviously, you know, Kumble is a, a huge megastar. So it was uh, just amazing going down the street with just thousands of people packed along the sides of the sidewalk. And you just see the uproar and passion for him. It was, it was really incredible. And then, like I said, I was, <laughs> I was cropped out of probably thousands of pictures <laughs> later that evening, <laughs> without a doubt. I forgot about Tim Anderson. So there were actually three pasty yeah. white guys on the float. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the cool things with Tim is when he had, he had came over, we actually took him to a Yankees game. So that was um, pretty cool to expose him to uh, to baseball, right? So Tim had never been to a baseball game, and we got to take him to Yankee Stadium. And I'm not a Yankees fan, but, you know, irregardless, it's a great stadium. And it was really fantastic to expose Tim at that time to, uh, to a baseball game. And then we get, we get to the stage, and that was probably the maddest part of the day of all because, again, Kumble is the featured guest along with Saif Ali Khan, big Bollywood megastar, right? Yeah. And you're there with ESPN, and I was I was I was there in a reporting capacity. So I I was basically I had a camera on the phone the whole time. I was trying to take pictures and just kind of capture the scene and capture the whole chaos of the whole tamasha of the experience. <laughs> and I remember one of the things Prasad was really keen on, and Kumble too, and and Tim Anderson. They're like, we want to get you to have a photo of us holding the trophy at the front of the stage. At the same time, we're all being forced. There's just this rush. Get onto the stage. Get onto the stage. Get on the stage. Yeah. It was just one way and it was it was almost like a human crush like there was just so many people on there all these kind of yeah. hangers on who just wanted to be there they wanted to get a piece <laughs> of side ball con and complain it's like oh you know you know jumbo jumbo i know like side please please here yeah and then all these floats are coming by and you have all these models and like miss india and miss teen india and miss miss india usa and they're all they're all just going out of the mind like Saif, Saif, look at me Saif is there and he's like yeah you can tell he's done this like a hundred times and he's he's quite bored and disinterested, but he's just kind of like having to do it because he's there. <laughs> but I know Kumbley was like, he was trying to like keep up the spirit. For and sure. So this crush is going one way and I'm still like, I got to get somehow get to the front. And so I'm trying to force my way off the stage so I can get a photo. 
you and Anno holding the trophy with Saif Ali Khan. I finally get to the front where the stage is, and I'm trying to like not get run over by these floats that are still coming <laughs> down down the street, down, right. down downtown Manhattan. Because no, God knowing the driver's distracted, he's looking at the stage and just turning to the right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, uh, human beings here, don't hit us, you know. <laughs> well, that's happening. And then simultaneously, there are all these cops and police officers and security guards who are protecting the stage. Because, again, people are, like, trying to climb up the front of the stage, jump on the stage. And they're, like, you know, taking out their the police sticks. And they're trying to, like, beat people away to, like, get away, get away. <laughs> and all these photographers and media who were in position trying to get photos, they were being shooed away. They just had enough. They, they had no tolerance. Everybody get out. Everybody. So I'm trying to get back to the front to get a photo. And I've got like a 20-second window or else it's not going to happen. So I finally get to the front. And, and Kumble actually helps me. So Kumble gets to the front. And he's like directing the police officers like, no, no, no. He's okay. He's okay. We need we need this photo. And so you're there with Kumble and Prasad. And everybody's like really grinning. Yeah. Like, man, we got this photo. And the only one who's not paying attention is Saif Ali Khan. And so, like, because he, he, again, he was fed up at this point because all these people were like shouting, they want to get his photo, they want to get his photo. Saif, Saif, Saif. So I'm, uh, then now it's me. I'm shouting, like, Saif, Saif, like, look this way, look this way. Like, you're, you're looking at the camera. Ano's looking at the camera. Prasad's looking at the camera. Tim's looking at the camera. And like, Saif Ali Khan, it was like almost out of spite. He was just refusing to look at the camera. He's like, <laughs> I will not give this guy the photo that he wants. <laughs> so, so I just took a couple of snaps and I got like, I took probably like 10 pictures and just like a fast shutter, hold down the shutter. I tried to pick out the best one where Saif was like kind of maybe looking in my general direction. <laughs> but like, he's like looking over your head or you know, yeah, you know, exactly yeah. he's like looking above me he's like oh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna look at this guy but I just, I, there were just so many things about that day what do you what do you remember about being on the stage at the end and, and again that whole mad scene at the end being on the stage and being around sci-fi gun yeah i mean like I, i'm with you it was, it was such a, a rushed crazy experience because it feels like you know like to your point we were all just being shoved onto the stage and like the timing to get that picture was like it felt like milliseconds and you know and just trying to even with mr kumble right i mean like the fans kept yelling at him and, and you know he was trying to not in essence blow them off so he could look at you and get the picture but it, it was just like it was such a this mass distraction and look those are things that you, you honestly you feel like what do these folks go through on a on a daily basis that are just superstars whether you know name whomever it is it's it's uh you know Barack Coley or whomever, right? You're just walking the streets. You're out. Like, how do you manage that? And for me, it was like kind of the first time that, you know, I was on some kind of a stage where, again, everyone wanted me and probably Tim and probably Prasad to be cropped out of the photo magically. Right? <laughs> we would all disappear like a Thanos snap and magically it would come together just be those two. But it was, it was, you know, an immense amount of fun to do that, right? It's, it's also so exhilarating when you're out there and you feel like the passion and, and mega stardom that, that these guys have and, and just the love affair that, you know, the Indian diaspora, and, you know, worldwide and, and, and the Indian Day Parade has for them. It, it was really amazing. So, I mean, I haven't thought about that day in a long time. So it's really fun to kind of reminisce and go back down the memory road for that. That was that was really great. I'm sure I still have some photos saved somewhere. Um, and hopefully I didn't crop myself out of the photo. <laughs> that I have a photo of, me, of a selfie with me and, and, and the team somewhere. 
Oh, absolutely. Now, you went to Syracuse. I'm curious, where did you grow up? Syracuse, for people who don't know, Syracuse University, big, big for journalism, the Newhouse School of Journalism. So many illustrious alumni who have come through there. And you're part of that. You were broadcast journalism major. Uh, I was, yeah. And so, so I know you had probably at one point you were looking to to be in the broadcasting realm in the radio, television, on the play-by-play or color commentary duty aspect of things in professional sports. And you went yeah. a different path. You, you're in cricket now, behind the scenes a bit. But, <laughs> right. but just, just take me through kind of growing up. How did you get into sports? How did you kind of get onto that path in the first place? Yeah, well, I grew up near uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, in a little town called uh, New Oxford. So roughly about 10 miles away from Gettysburg. Honestly, I can say that my interest in sports started when I was probably, gosh, I'm going to say 10 or 11 years old. And my sister and I had, you know, typical sibling argument. And to, to punish us, our mom forced us to watch an NFL football game. And little did she know that that would tick off a love affair with sports that now she probably regrets. <laughs> because from that point forward, I was like, well, hey, I want to watch a lot more NFL, especially on Sundays at the time, and it got into all these other sports. So I wound up you know, monopolizing the TV probably a lot more than she wanted. And it was like, your punishment turned out to be something that was really great for me. I think my sister and I were probably arguing about what cartoon to watch, or again, something silly that most siblings argue over that really have no real value. And my mom thought she was going to teach us a lesson, but it didn't didn't exactly work out in her favor uh, in that regard. And, you know, so I got into sports and you got a, a great English teacher by the name of Mr. Galt, who ultimately gave me an opportunity to do uh, in-stadium announcing for our football team. Um, so as you can imagine, right, I was, you know, buddies with a lot of the guys on the football team. So I started giving all of them different nicknames. Um, like one of my, one of my friends was a huge Cowboys fan. And at the time, Eugene Lockhart was a middle linebacker and his nickname was the hitting machine. So when I would, you know, be like Steve Schaefer, the hitting machine with the tackle. Right. So then, you know, the football team loved it when, you know, I got to, you know, I didn't do all the games, but occasionally I would pinch hit when Mr. Galt just wasn't available and, and would do some of the games and it was a blast. And I got kind of really hooked on it from there. And like you mentioned, you know, decided to ultimately, you know, go to Syracuse to, um, at the time I thought I would be following when the, you know, the Bob Costas, Keith Olbermann, you know, Rich Eisen, you know, Stu Scott kind of footsteps. And then, then you realize that, you know, it's a lot harder to get, they make it look so easy. Right. Yeah. And I ultimately, you know, got my first on-air job was out in Great Falls, Montana little station called uh, KRTV. And I ultimately got fired from there because the news director didn't like the fact that I would always use sports center like stuff. Right. I mean, I was hooked on sports center, right. And all the guys had, had different, um, you know, catchphrases and whether it was Kenny main or going to rich Eisen or Scott or Dan Patrick. So I would weave things like that into, you know, my local sports cast and the news director just, felt I should be more whatever it is, you know, Cal Ripken with the home run, Orioles winning three to two. And I would do something not that. <laughs> you, were doing, you were doing Cal Ripken is in fuego. <laughs> yeah, Cal Ripken's in fuego. You know, uh, the outfielder or, you know, back, 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 back. Oh, you know, like the Chris Berman call. Like I would be doing that kind of stuff. And, and Kelly would entertain me, which was what I felt was more important at the time. But and as you, we always, always know, the boss is always right. 
Um, so, so left there, went to West Virginia, did some on-air sports, and then eventually moved behind the scenes and got a job down in Fort Myers, Florida. Again, part of the, the things of local news, for, for those of you who don't know, is like most people wound up, not all, but many wind up bouncing around as you try to climb the, the ladder, right? So you go from small station, hopefully a mid-sized station, to you know, a little bigger, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, a select few wind up either going national or, you know, they work in big markets, New York, L.A., Dallas, that kind of stuff. So went to Fort Myers, Florida, was a producer behind the scenes and really enjoyed that. And uh, ESPN had openings. Um, they were have just launched ESPN News, which a lot different today than it was back then. I mean, back then it was like headline news, right? I mean, every 30 minutes there was a new show constant score and highlight updates and now it's you know obviously it's just it's just not that because of the mobile phones that everybody uses now to consume highlights and scores instantaneously so they flew me up for an interview and you know i honestly i think i got the job because the the one i had an interview with a man named david brofsky and he said okay it's nba semifinals nhl finals which are you leading with and i said nba finals and again, I don't know if that was the one answer that got me the job or they're just desperate and needed a warm body. <laughs> and I was the one who was willing to do it. Um, but uh, I wound up getting the job and then, you know, did, you know, behind the scenes production work for ESPN for about five years before I jumped into the programming side. So being a, a broadcaster when you're trying to break into the business, it's almost like being a minor league baseball announcer where you, you're you can't just graduate out of college and go straight to announcing for the Yankees or announcing for the Cubs. You're, you're bouncing around single A, double A, triple A. There's all sorts of different places that you can go to when you're on the pathway. And, you know, you might not get to a major league gig until you're in your 30s or 40s. And, and so it takes a lot of perseverance to stick with it until you wind up landing a big gig. And that big gig came getting to go work for ESPN fairly early on, actually. Yeah, I mean, like I was I was certainly, you know, pretty lucky. And, you know, the decision to move off air and go behind and be a producer, you know, at the time I, I kind of struggled if this was the right direction to kind of give up on my dream of being the next, you know, Rich Eisen, Stu Scott, etc. Um, like many people. Right? I mean, you, you but you close one door and you open another and, and jump through and it wound up being, you know, the best decision you know, that I probably ever, ever made, at least career wise. Because it you know, would have been pretty unlikely I would have ever made it to ESPN. I'm not saying never, but as you can tell, I'm balding up top, losing the hair. The face might not be good enough for TV anymore, right? So maybe just at the time, they would have been, okay, his skills are good enough. And be like, yeah, but he has enough hair. We can't hire him. So I, I, would have, I wouldn't have made the cut. So, but when you're behind the scenes, no one cares, right? It doesn't matter if, you know, have a, you know, if I have long, flowing hair and, or if I, if I don't have any. So, you know, it, it, was, it was great. And look, you know, I got so many just memorable opportunities doing production for ESPN, right? So a core group of guys I still keep in touch with, um, like uh, Kevin Cork, who now does, he's a Washington News correspondent for Fox News. Um, a guy by the name of Jim Frazier. I mean, Jim, Kevin, and I did, I, I can't even, I, it feels like several thousand ESPN News shows together. And we would just always have such a good time. And, and, and that's part of work. I mean, like you want to be able to work with people that, you know, you're in a foxhole that you really like you and enjoy. And, you know, afterwards you can you know, have a laugh. And like any job, there's there's good, there were good shows and then there are bad shows. But one of the things about production is once that show ends, that's it. Right. You 
once it, when it's live, it's over. You, you can't go back and fix it and say, oh, you know, I wish I'd done this differently or the anchor stumbled or this happened, wrong highlight rolled. It, it's, you know, you just have to move on to the next day. And, but it, it was great. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I was lucky enough to, with the, the whole team effort, wound up winning two Emmys. Uh, for Sports Center production, which is which is fun. I mean, my, I have them in my in my office where I work, and you know, my my kids, uh, my oldest one, will occasionally come over and and take a picture up with his iPad because his friends don't believe that there's an Emmy sitting in his house, and and he's like, he's always like, you won this. I'm like, no, I, I didn't win this. I'm like, the team won it, right? I mean, put together a TV show. There's, gosh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 people behind the scenes cutting highlights, directing audio, goes on and on, like. You know, you, you win and lose as a team. So I was one of the lucky people on a great team that we wound up, you know, winning a couple of Emmys. What do you remember as your most favorite part of doing the Sports Center productions? Well, I think I'll probably say two things. And I'll start with the one that's, it's, you know, again, it's very memorable for, for not a great reason was, uh, you know, 9-11. So it happened and, you know, I wound up going in, into into work that day and, uh as you can imagine, right? I mean, it was, it was kind of different at, at the time because ESPN, again, we're talking about, you know, 20 years ago, well, almost 20 years ago. Um, you know, they weren't as news equipped, if you will, as they are today where they would cover such hard news breaking stories. So we wound up going on air like nonstop in the afternoon and had Bob Lee and Chris Berman and other people like that, that, you know, I, at the time, I would only been ESPN for like two years. So, so Kaylee, I didn't have a lot of time or experience in my belt, but my, I think I got tabbed to do that show because of my local news experience uh, of having the ability, which was just a little different, right? It, it's not, trust me, it's not a critique or a knock on anybody else producing at all, right? Is that if you do local news, you, you have to be a little bit more flexible, nimble, do, you know, stink on your feet. I had done hurricane coverage before, so I was very used to juggling like 10 or 12 different live shots and you're just jumping around with no rundown, right? I mean, normal sports telecast, you rank a rundown. You're like, all right, here's what we're doing in order. We, you just don't have that when you're covering breaking news. And, and it was really impactful. And I, for some reason, I, I'm spacing on the name of the Philadelphia Phillies manager now. And it will, I'm sure the second we get off this Skype call, I'll remember it. Larry Butler, Jim, Jim Fergosi. It, it might have been Larry Boa. Um, Again, we can Google it, right? Whoever was the manager in 2000, uh, 2001, but we had him live on the show and right, we went to him and we were talking about what was happening and, and he was, they were driving to a game on the bus and the question was, would baseball play? And live on the air, he said, our bus just turned around. So it's one of those moments that you kind of just never forget, although I've forgotten his name because it's, it's know, Larry Bow. I'm looking at it right now. Larry Bow. Larry, Larry okay. Bow took over from Terry Francona in 2001. There you go. Larry that season. So it's things like that you just don't you don't forget, right? I mean, and then I'll say on a more humorous, positive side is uh, my my friend Jim Frazier is he had taken a, a short. I was very new. I think I'd been at ESPN for maybe two months. And he had been on a short sabbatical and came back and we were doing a, um, a college football Saturday, which on ESPN News, it was a three hour show. And they decided that Jim was going to anchor solo. And it's a lot. Right. I mean, three hours is a long time. And I'm just like feeding him highlights. And I'm still kind of green of how everything works there. So I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes. And, 
you know, there's a cough button, right? And where it's an announcer can push if they have to cough or they want to talk back. And, and like he'd be in the middle of a highlight, you know, so-and-so to score a touchdown. You're killing me. Let's go to commercial break. <laughs> I would just keep changing around. Of like, all right, uh, I'd be talking to it as you're all right. Forget that. So, so-and-so just scored. We're going to go to the Florida State Miami highlights next. Here's what we're doing. And it was just so funny. And, and we came out of it at the end of the show and just had such a good laugh about what, how crazy it was that he hadn't done a live show, I think, in like two or three months. This was like really my first big multi-hour show I had done. So again, it's like you couldn't have picked you know, two, you know, less ready to rock and roll people at the time to jump in and do this three-hour show. And after that, we were just good friends, and you know, we did thousands of show shows in between. But it was just it'd be all the the commentary in between the highlights or the plays that I would just start cracking up. And one one other quick one I'll throw out just because it's top of mind is. Um, Mike Greenberg. So before Greeny became Greeny, right, with his his show and radio show and everything else, he did some ESPN news. And he and I are both big Seinfeld fans. And there's one of the episodes. There's a, a guy named Todd Gack. And I, I remember. I remember the name being mentioned in the show. I don't remember the context, but yeah, go on. Yeah. So in in the same episode, he he talks about smelling a rubber fire. So whenever I would do a show with with Greeny, like you would give an instructions of commercial breaks and whatever. He'd be like, I got it, Todd Gack. (laughs) Or I'd be giving him a, Hey, we're going to make a quick change in what we're doing. And he'd be like, I'm smelling a rubber fire. I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) So just some of the fun things that happen off camera that the viewers have no idea, but you're just, you know, you're just cracking up and then you're still trying to do your job while you're laughing on the floor hysterically because he's just at the most opportune time jumps in and calls you Todd Gack and and maybe the senior coordinating producers behind you on the bench saying who's Todd Gack I never heard of this guy <laughs> yeah that'd be me <laughs> so some funny times <laughs> today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perlin, just five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Moose Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195. Moose Cricket Stadium in Perland, Texas. You spent your first five years as a producer on SportsCenter at ESPN in Bristol, the Bristol headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. For the people who are listening around the world, not Bristol, England, Bristol, Connecticut. <laughs> a lot, there's a Manchester, Connecticut. There's there's lots of places in Connecticut and New England that have uh, all their roots and their city names in uh, England and the old country. And sure enough, Bristol, Connecticut, that's where ESPN is headquartered. After your time as a producer, you went into programming and acquisitions, and I want to talk about that because that's kind of where the cricket story begins. Now, you took over, Todd, with Todd Myers here, again, the senior vice president at Willow TV. And when you were at ESPN, this is back in the mid-2000s, you went from a producer to becoming director of programming and acquisitions. And that dealt with a lot of properties, a lot of sports properties, not just on ESPN, but again, mentioned ESPN3, putting stuff on the broadband streaming platform. So it could be anything from rugby, CrossFit games, yeah, 
you know, all that, that kind of stuff. But cricket was a part of that. Now, from my memory, one of the first things I remember being put on any ESPN property kind of in and around that time frame was the Stanford Superstars competition, <laughs> oh, Alan Stanford's cricket tournament, yeah. the infamous Alan Stanford. What yeah. do you remember as the first deal that you negotiated <laughs> and helped acquire in terms of a cricket rights deal for ESPN? And was that it? And what do you remember about Alan Stanford and, and those events? Yeah, well, yes, again, back back to memory road. So that I think that probably was the first one I, I did. If, if it wasn't, it would have been Asia Cup. Um, but the, the Stanford 2020 was definitively one of the first couple that I was involved with, without a doubt. And look, I didn't really have any interaction with him directly at his team. We negotiated the rights. And I still remember at the time, like I was very new to cricket in the world and was trying to learn my way around. But Ken and Bristol, we, we kind of thought like, there's just no way this can be financially viable. I forget what his price first was, a million dollars. I might have 10 million. I forget what the number was, but it was something very high. And it just seemed like, boy, this isn't going to last, but hey, let's do it. We have a shot. Let, let's let's make it happen. And, and we did. And then we all know that was that was kind of a one off. But you know, obviously, Peter, I think, you know, maybe my most memorable acquisition at ESPN was was honestly the ICC rights from 2012 through 2015. Um, you know, there is a lot of support w- within the company. I mean, I, I kind of joke it was the the three Johns that helped that help it out. John Wildhack, John Lasker, John Papa, three big, you know, very VP or above John Wildhack at the time was EVP uh, of programming and another man by the name of Damon Phillips. And we were really trying to figure out how to how to spur the growth of ESPN3. And we had done some cricket, like the Stanford 2020, Asia Cup. Um, I think we did the Pearls Cup, which was an event that between Sri Lanka and New Zealand. And like, I was involved in, in, help, in helping to orchestrate and pull that together. And that, that was we, in Florida. For people, again, outside yeah. this, that was held on U.S. soil. Those were the first T20 internationals on U.S. soil. And ESPN3 broadcast those to the U.S. audience. Correct. From Florida, and I remember Ian Chappell was part of the commentary team, and there were yeah. some other guys they got from big names internationally. And it was right after uh, 2010 T20 World Cup. So they came straight right. from that, and that was, again, one of the big things that was on ESPN. So, so we had done some of those events like that, and we had some success. And I'll back up just very quickly, and I, I don't remember the exact day. It was probably in 2010 or 2011. You know, John Lasker at the time, who was my boss, came into my office that I was in and, and says something to the effect of, like, you know, what do you really know about cricket? And I remember answer was, you know, not much. And, and his response was something like, you know, congratulations, you're in charge of cricket for the company. I mean, not ESPN Crick Info, not editorial, but you're going to now run point in all of our acquisitions and set our cricket strategy for the company. And, you know, I remember when he walked out of the office, I was just like, all right, I better get on this. And so I immediately went on to ESPN Crick Info and then Crick Buzz and was like, I better start learning about the game because it's easy to do one-off acquisitions where there's like, oh, whatever, we'll do Stanford, we'll do Pearl's Cup, we'll do an Asia Cup, whatever. But if you're going to build a strategy, you know, you got to really learn and know the sport and the players and the financials and economics around the business. So, um, but Kelly, that was one of the best things that, that happened to me when I was at ESPN, right? It really opened a lot of different doors and pathways, including leading to me be, being here now with Willow TV. If John had picked someone else or, um, I mean, again, as you can imagine on the programming floor of ESPN, it wasn't like people were like 
knocking each other down to run cricket, right? And it's not a knock on cricket. It's that, you know, most people at ESPN, they, they want to do college football or NFL or NBA or one of the big mainstream sports, which, you know, you get. So, um, but if John had tabbed somebody else or someone had come in and kneecapped me, like, you know, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, you know, I want those cricket deals. Um, I probably, not probably, I wouldn't be here today. So, so it worked out really well. But anyway, very quickly on the 2012 uh, the 2015 ICC rights. I mean, you know, literally, again, we, we didn't know like how to value these, what would the viewership be? Um, again, we had done some cricket had, had done, you know, okay. And we thought, well, there's a path to getting the world championships and get a lot of support from John Lasker, John Papa, John Wildhack to, to kind of push this through. And we ultimately did it. And, it, you know, kind of a little bit rest is history for, for ESPN. At that point, we, we saw success and, and managed to you know, acquire some other rights, ECB, Cribbon Premier League, New Zealand, and had a, a nice IPL, had a nice little you know cricket kind of business there for for a number of years while I was at ESPN. One of the things also at the time in terms of ESPN acquiring cricket rights was that then as now you could argue Willow was the dominant force in terms of cricket rights. I mean Willow TV has been around for. 20 plus years. I remember the first cricket I saw in the US. I, I discovered cricket in 2005 studying abroad in Australia. But when I came back from Australia back to uh, the US in 2006, after my semester was done, I was Googling everything. How do I have access to cricket now that I'm in the US? I was I watched on the flight home from Australia, the 14 hour flight from Sydney to Los Angeles. There was an Ashes documentary, a two hour documentary highlights film. I watched it seven times in a row on the flight, on the 14 hour flight. <laughs> Because I I kid you not, because all I could think of was like, when I get back to the U.S., I won't be able to watch cricket. So I better soak up this opportunity. I'm I'm never going to get the opportunity again. And so I've got to commit this to my memory. Like, I've got to burn it into my mind. Like, what happened in the 2005 Ashes? Just watch it on a loop seven times in a row on my flight. And um, I get back to the U.S. and I'm Googling. I'm trying to find access. And it was actually through a friend on my campus uh, who was there going to, to med school from India who was a big cricket fan. He took me to uh, kind of a viewing party. There was an India-Pakistan test series that was happening in early 2006 where there were, I think, like five or six of us in a dorm room all watching the cricket. And it was on Willow TV. They had a Willow TV pass, Willow TV subscription. I was like, oh, Willow TV. And that, you know, that's how I watched the 2007-50 over World Cup. Willow had the rights to, to that. And Willow had the rights to just about everything, the ashes, you name it. And so from a from a competition standpoint, ESPN was trying to like forge their way in and create a niche in terms of a, a cricket offering rather than Willow just having the monopoly. So from that standpoint, what were you aware of in terms of the scope of interest in cricket in terms of, you know, what kind of data did you have to go off of? If if you say you didn't know much about cricket or they, the guy, uh, you know, the boss just came to you and said, here, you, you're the guy in charge of cricket now. What did you have to go off of to get that quick education and make it less of a baptism by fire so that you knew how big of a deal cricket was and in terms of the data points, the viewing figures, the the traffic that it could generate and why it would be meaningful for ESPN to break into it from a television market standpoint over and above what they had already possessed from the Crick Info online market share. Sure. Well, well, we're probably three things, and hopefully I remember all three, so I don't forget. So if I if I only name two, be like uh, Todd, you said there was three. So, so one was you know ESPN owns ESPN Quick Info, so we had an opportunity to access all of their data on like how different individual boards, page views, home team page views, what would happen with World Championships, what would happen with IPL, 
So we had a pretty good idea from of interest in the U.S., right? So not just, I mean, obviously we knew cricket is you know, the second most popular sport in the world you know, behind only, you know, football or soccer, depending on where you live, right? Uh, what do you want to call it? Um, so we knew that. And, you know, through quick info, we were able to really pinpoint what the audiences in the U.S. would follow. So that was a great blueprint. The second was, you know, I mentioned some of the acquisitions we had made on ESPN3, whether it's Asia Cup, the Stanford stuff, you know, some of the other content that we had. And, and we saw that not only was there a, a passionate audience in terms of volume, but that it was a very sticky sport and that people will turn on. Again, yes, matches are eight hours long. So, yes, very few people are watching for eight consecutive hours. But you would see that, wow, maybe an ODI, someone, the average time from viewing might have been three hours. And you're like, wow, well, that's that's Canley percentage wise better than an NFL game. Right. An, an average NFL game. And I believe this is still true today is the average fan watches about an hour. Right. I mean, I, I'm you know, individuals, you, me, other people may watch an entire NFL game. You may watch an entire soccer match, but the average only watches about a third. So that was one of the other data points of like, wow, the not only are there's a, a high volume of people to watch, but they stick around even more so than than kind of some of the traditional, I'll say, stick and ball sports uh, of the U.S. And there's a third one. And now I'm already forgetting. Oh, um, at the time uh, it was it was called ESPN Star Sports. So the India entity was co-owned by ESPN and Fox. So we had a good idea from them of kind of the viewership levels around some of the marquee events because you know, that's that's what they did, right? I mean, they they own these properties, uh, some sometimes globally, and they would be able to you know provide some guidance on how well whether it's the ICC or IPL or another cricket board would perform, and we'd be able to take that data and say, okay, well let's. Um, again, ESPN is a, a, a very data-driven company. ESPN has some of the best researchers probably on the planet and, and took the data and would extrapolate back and say, all right, so when you are looking for acquisitions, don't get this board, get this board, and, and here's why. And they would provide some of the background on that. So again, like, you know, I had somewhat of a baptism by fire, learned a lot about the, the rules of the game, the players in the game, and obviously the, the business behind it. But like anything, right, you have it's a whole team effort. There's, there's no, you know, one person who's just, you know, making the decisions. You, you have a lot of background with the research and, and support from the other areas I mentioned, especially history and quick info. One of the things that I got to observe and experience firsthand when I used to be based in the Bristol bunker, building three, building four in the, in the basement <laughs> yeah. was the challenges of getting cricket exposure within the ESPN universe in terms of an, a property like Sports Center. Oftentimes, it wasn't necessarily how important a match was in the context of cricket or how amazing a play was in terms of whether it could possibly crack Sports Center top 10 plays. You might have the greatest cricket catch of all time, but if it's on a college football Saturday from September to November, or if it's on an NFL Sunday from September to January, it's never going to make the cut. Whereas if it's possibly on, on a slow sports day comparatively in July or August or April after March Madness is done, it might be, comparatively speaking, not as amazing, but there's not as much sports competition to sift through. And you might actually have a better shot of getting something on air on SportsCenter to make the cut from that standpoint. So there's a lot of factors at play. And I guess what I'm leading into is trying to get cricket matches on TV. 
most of the matches, 99% of the matches that ESPN owned cricket rights-wise in the U.S. were streamed online. But there were a few instances where you were successful at getting games on actual ESPN television. I remember there were a couple IPL games that were actually shown on TV. And again, I think part of what aided that is that I think they were on at 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., so it's Correct. before noon. It's not going to compete with college basketball or anything that would be shown post 12 p.m. And then also uh, the 2012 T20 World Cup final. I yes. remember that was, again, started that ICC TV rights deal. That final between yep. Sri Lanka and the West Indies was one of the rare events cricket-wise that was actually shown, not just on ESPN streaming, but it was on shown, shown on ESPN2, on ESPN television. Okay. So from your standpoint, what do you feel were the – crowning achievements and successes that you feel that you were most proud of from that standpoint in helping to get cricket more broader exposure, A, and B, what were the challenges that you faced internally in terms of the pull from other people involved in programming decision-making to try and get cricket prioritized for those kind of big events? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question, Peter. And obviously, it's probably the same today at, at ESPN potentially as it was. And again, I haven't been there for, for about six years. ESPN's blessed and with a lot of hardworking people that do a wonderful job of acquiring rights. So the, the cupboard's always full, as you mentioned, right? NFL, college football, college basketball, NBA, MLB, the list goes on of just really uber popular sports here in America. And, and cricket's on the come. Um, but it's, it, you know, no one's going to say that a hey, cricket rivals baseball in popularity today in the U.S. Hopefully someday. Um, I know Ian Higgins and the team are working very hard to continue to grow cricket in the U.S. And there's no doubt that we'll get there. It, it just it just takes time. So so I think a crowning achievement probably would have been getting, you know, the the 2012. And I want I, if my memory is accurate, I think we also had the 2014 World T20 Championship also on ESPN, too. Uh, my memory may be hazy on that. Too much Florida sun, but but definitively we got the 2012 on. And and you're right. I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, you had to displace other tried and true programming. And that's, you know, not easy to do. And, you know, ESPN along with Disney is obviously a publicly traded company. Every ad unit counts, eyeballs count. You're trying to, you know, hit sponsorship goals, et cetera. And, and you're saying, okay, we're going to displace outside the lines and whatever else was on that morning on ESPN2. And instead, we're going to show a cricket match that was probably, I'll say, lightly sold, right? Because, and Prasad would, would, would I think, I don't know, Prasad was, I'm sure, involved uh, at some point in the ad sales piece of that. It wasn't like ESPN had, you know, 30 people out trying to sell cricket. It was probably like Prasad, <laughs> right? He was probably the, the main guy who was trying to do it at the time. So you're, you're, you know, you're trying to balance, we're taking a revenue hit, but we're trying to expose the sport and continue to grow it here in the U.S. And like many sports, right, the, the path is, you know, showing it to more eyeballs. Because, you know, I truly believe if you watch a cricket match, if you don't fall in love with it, I would be surprised, right? And especially if you have an opportunity, as you know, Peter, you and I have, of actually going to matches. Again, you know, the I mentioned earlier about, you know, John Laxford came in, my boss, and said, hey, you know, you're going to take over cricket. And, like, I got to go to places that probably the average American will never go. You know, I've been to Sri Lanka twice. I've been to Bangladesh. I've been to India. I've been to the U.K. I've been to some Caribbean islands, which, again, a lot of Americans may go to that to lay on a beach, but they're not going to watch a cricket match. And I've been to Australia. And, and you just sit in the stands in, like, Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, and you just see 30,000, 40,000 people just – 
on the edge of their seat, the passion, the constant cheering for three and three and a half hours. And you come back and you're just like, how does not all 330 million Americans just love the sport? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's because many of them haven't been exposed to it. We've got to expose more Americans to the sport. And I think if they watch it, especially if they were to watch it with like, Kaylee, maybe Peter, you and I should should, uh, and my boss is hopefully you're not listening to this. We should quit our jobs and just go house to house, right? And, <laughs> and sit with people and watch a match because, yeah, I appreciate one of the barriers is, you know, the rules. Every sport has idiosyncrasies, but the general rules aren't impossible to catch up on, right? But you just need to sit with someone who actually knows the game. So you're like, okay, well, here's why this happened. Oh, okay, I get it. No different than if you never watched an NFL game, you're like, after every play, why do they come back and huddle up and then quarterback looks over here and there's substitutions like you need someone to, to tell you what's happening. And it's the same scene with the strategy around cricket. So, so again, hopefully my bosses aren't, aren't listening. I'm not looking to quit and go door to door and educate people on cricket. It would be fun, but you know, we just need to figure out collectively you, me, ESPN, cause they still have rights, Willow TV, USA cricket. How do we bring more people in the tent to experience the game? And again, I will be surprised if a whole bunch of people as they walk out, don't absolutely just fall in love with it. On, on that point, I remember when I was in Connecticut, ahead of the 2014 T20 World Cup, I held a seminar for ESPN.com editorial staff, and it was just to try and get people excited about the T20 World Cup that was coming up, the ESPN at the rights for, the show in the U.S., and build up more enthusiasm and support, and kind of break down the barrier in terms of, like, if we had a, a featured cricket article, it wasn't invading ESPN.com. It was something that would be, like, welcomed and they would appreciate and kind of understand the significance of why certain content would be promoted on a certain day for the World Cup and that there was a legitimate reason to make sure it, it did get in the headline sack and to get good coverage. And it wasn't just a nuisance like, oh, geez, here's the cricket guy. Oh, God, we got to put up with him. And what I, ex I experienced was, and this is not unique to ESPN in terms of the staff there and, and just other sports people in general. Like you said, you expose somebody to it. It's hard not to like. And one of the things I did, I cut up a, a series of highlight clips from some of the other matches before the World Cup. So in particular, I think it was a Sri Lanka, New Zealand one day where I, I cut it down to about a 20 minute highlight package where I, I tried to get as much variety in terms of dismissals, you know, runouts, bolds, LBWs, catches. Um, balls hitting the stumps, guys hitting boundaries, guys hitting sixes, just so they could get a taste of everything. And in terms of the editorial staff, so like Chris Ramsey, who was one of the basketball editors, right, was there. Right. And for people who don't know, he, he's the son of Dr. Jack Ramsey, the NBA Hall of Fame legend coach, yeah. title winning coach, I think with the Portland Trailblazers. And some of the other ESPN editors there who were from football and basketball, hockey, other sports, they're all there. And it wasn't like they were itching to get out of there at the end. It was I, I basically just played the highlight video and I said, all right, you guys watch. And this is what I try and do with everybody. You guys watch. If and when you have questions, just ask. And I'll pause the video and we can go over what's happening. But I'll just let you guys watch and learn and absorb yourself. Because I think, again, one of my frustrations with the cricket community is they assume everybody's an idiot. And they assume everybody's stupid. And they, they assume that people can't understand certain things in cricket. Yes, some of the rules are complicated. Some of the things can be complex, but at the end of the day, at its essence, cricket is a see the ball, hit the ball game. The ball hits the stumps. Even if you don't know cricket, all right, you can figure out guys gotten out. The graphics come up on the screen. He walks off the field and people were very receptive to it. There was not this combative attitude. I think that there's this stereotype that exists out there that the American sports community is combative or there's this resistance. And in my personal experiences, that wasn't the case. A lot of the people Great. at ESPN 
were very, very supportive. I appreciated it. And I know a lot of other people who I, I worked with on the Crick Info staff and people who are doing video editing work for highlights content were there. One of the things I remember most, you said again, uh, you're talking about you know matches that were shown on TV. During the, the final, there was a commitment from SportsCenter that they, they were going to show some sort of highlight, whether it was 30 seconds or 40 seconds, whatever. I was responsible for basically putting together a script and, and creating pronunciations, doing a pronunciation name guide for, for all the, <laughs> the names that were. And so I in my head, I was praying like, oh, geez, I hope Sri Lanka doesn't make the final. If Australia and New Zealand make the final, it would make my life so much easier. Because <laughs> there's a reluctance of some of the anchors. They don't want to be put in an embarrassing position, which is understandable. You, they don't yeah. want to be made fool of. And they, they want to maintain their own presence and sound like they've got an authority and a grasp of the content and all that. So you don't want to put them in, in a tough spot. But I always appreciated Lisa Kearney. Lisa Kearney was the anchor. She stepped up and she, she said, I'll, I'll read it. I'll do the, the cricket highlight. And again, sometimes over the course of history at ESPN, there have been some anchors who they kind of see a cricket clip that gets put in front of them and they just kind of like give it this really... <laughs> tongue-in-cheek oh cricket what's cricket why am i reading this but she, she right. took it very seriously again there was support there she took it very seriously she read it gave it the respect of any other highlight that she would read right and again there was a respect there was an appreciation there that cricket there is a capacity for cricket to fit into the sports landscape lisa kearney now is a host for FanDuel, FanDuel sports betting they do some sports betting shows and She's moved on to there, but I, I've reached out to her a handful of times over the years just to, again, say thanks and appreciate. And she remembers doing the cricket. And so there is scope within ESPN and there is scope within the broad sports community that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. And you've experienced that yourself. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things, you know, with, with cricket, I, I remember we had a conversation. I, I don't know at the time who was like the coordinating producer, but was when they do the cricket highlights is there's a line between being funny which many of the anchors are, yeah. right? I mean, you can be funny versus making fun of. Yes. Right? Which in both instances, the average viewer may chuckle, but that's not what we were going for, right? So we want you, we wanted them to have their personality come through in the cricket highlights that they did do, of course. But as you said, Peter, don't make fun of the sport. Again, it's legitimately the second most popular sport in the world. And some of these players, like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Chris Gale in person, Kieran Pollard in person. Like, if they had grown up in the U.S., Chris Gale would probably been like a middle linebacker, right? I mean, the, the guy's just, like, incredible. I know he's older now, but say 10 years ago, right? I mean, he, I mean I'm not saying he's not in good shape now, Chris. You're still in very good shape. I'm not disputing him, <laughs> right? Uh, so you can beat me running, lifting everything, right? But 10 years ago, I mean, he was just ripped. And, and you just look at him and you'd be like, dude, you could be a middle linebacker playing for an NFL team. And, now, also, Kieran Pollard's, I don't know what his, he could be tight end. I, I don't know. He took the words out of my mouth. He would be, with his hands, yeah, his yeah. size, he would be an incredible tight end. Exactly. So you, you see these folks playing, and, and it's like, they are athletic marvels of what they do. It's just that, again, to your point, many of the, the U.S. audience and the Sports Center uh, announcers just didn't have a lot of exposure to, to seeing them. So it was, it was easier to, as you would say, you know, kind of have a, a joke or a little bit of a crack against cricket when it really wasn't doing us any favors. So, but, you know, to the credit of Lisa and, you know, the other sports and anchors that ultimately did other highlights along the way, like 
they kind of stopped doing that. And they realized like, yeah, you know, this is a real sport. And, and Cali, you know, ESPN slash Disney, you know, was making a, a major investment in acquiring these rights. And the goal was to grow the game. And by, again, I, I would say making fun of the game that doesn't get people in the camp to want to watch. I said to Lisa Kearney, one of the other ones I want to mention too, who is really, really supportive, who has moved on. He's moved up the ranks. He's up to college football, doing college football Saturday, college football scored. Matt Barry. Matt Barry was yeah. very, very supportive. He's a fantastic guy. And yeah. whenever there was a cricket highlight that was being put forward potentially to squeeze into Sports Center, he never turned it down. He was always very, very willing and supportive. Right. And I always appreciated Matt Barry and Lisa Kearney for, for doing that. You need yeah. those kind of people on your side. And like I said, pronouncing the names was a, was a big one too, you know, right? So I imagine it would have been much easier for them to say, you know, Steve Smith, you know, bowling, you know, or, or caught by Kane Williamson or some other just more English names, if, if you will, versus, you know, you're, you're trying to get, you know, Virat Kohli and Kumar Sankara and, you know, Anil Kumble and names like that, that they're just like, yeah, how do you pronounce this and mispronouncing it? And that was, you know, a while ago. Imagine now it would be with Twitter and Instagram and all that now it would be even worse if someone mispronounced somebody's name well i i can vouch for lisa kearney i gave her the pronunciation for kumar singakara and she had it roll off the tongue perfectly no no it's problem good. and if you do sports highlights and you're used to doing long and complicated russian ice hockey player names <laughs> cricket should be like a walk in the park for you for sure exactly <laughs> exactly Plenty of interesting things to chew on there from Todd Myers, the Senior Vice President of Global Operations at Willow TV, and plenty more to come next week in the second part of this two-part interview with Todd Myers. I want to thank all the patrons on Patreon who continue to support the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. If you haven't joined on Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com. There's various levels of sponsorship support that you can sign up for, and all of them are greatly appreciated, as well as the sponsorship from Dream Cricket and Moosa Cricket Stadium that help keep the podcast going every single episode. So thank you to everybody for your support. You can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. For anybody who enjoys watching the video episodes, as well as the audio-only versions, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Until next week with the conclusion of the interview with Todd Myers, I'm Peter Delapena, reminding everybody, God bless America, and God bless American Cricket. Cricket.